Hi, Virtue Girls. My name is Wendy McGinnis, and I want to welcome you to the Virtue Podcast. As a community, we believe there is always room for growth. We believe that faith grows best in a group community that is centered on the study of God's Word and deeply rooted in living out the gospel, life on life. And that's why we are glad you're here. So thanks for joining me as we read, reflect, and apply God's Word together. If you've been following along, you know that we're studying the book of Genesis. We're going back to the actual beginning, where God created the heavens and the earth and gave specific instructions on how to enjoy and live in his beautiful creation. Unfortunately, it's also where Adam allowed his sinful nature to make selfish choices that led to some pretty tough consequences for himself, his family, and even for all of us. Today, we will be discussing Genesis 3 through 6, a slightly longer passage this week. But don't worry, I won't keep you listening for an hour. I'm going to highlight just a few key portions of the scripture to reflect on and apply. Our passage includes familiar accounts of biblical figures that you've likely learned about in Sunday school. You know the story of Adam and Eve, where Eve is misled by the serpent and encourages Adam to eat from the forbidden tree. You're likely familiar with the dysfunctional brotherly relationship where Cain's jealousy got the best of him and he kills his brother in a resentful rage. You also know how Noah built a boat, a very big boat, in the middle of the very dry desert because he chose to obey God's instruction. As adults, these relational stories can take on new meaning and application as we see these sinful people less as characters in a story and more as relatable people who struggle with their own character flaws, impulsive choices, and obedience. They are people just like us. Often it's easier to see the sins and mistakes of others and miss them in ourselves until we realize that we too are sinners who struggle with the same pride, jealousy, and insecurities. Sorry, I'm probably not giving you the warm fuzzies, but stick with me. There's so much to learn from this lesson. Remember, the Bible is full of flawed people just like you and me, and it was written for us to help us live for God today. So in this podcast, we are going to juxtapose five characters from this passage. Adam is our passive leader. Eve is our dominant influencer. Cain is our resentful rager. Abel is our generous shepherd, and Noah is our faithful laborer. While all of these biblical characters have different personality traits, they do have a few things in common. They all dealt with situations where their obedience was tested, and unfortunately, three of our five characters failed to obey God's instructions and, as a result, compromised their standards. The definition of compromise that we're using today is to bring into disrepute or danger by indiscreet, foolish, or reckless behavior. They adjusted what they once believed or knew to be true. Those compromises led to important choices, and those choices led to lasting consequences. Pastor Greg has said before, you make your choices, and then your choices make you. All of these stories emphasized a key lesson. You are free to choose, but you are not free from the consequences of your choice. If you're a parent, you know this harsh reality well because one, you've received the consequences of your own choices, but also two, you've likely applied the principles of natural or logical consequences when disciplining your children. Just last month, I had a conversation with one of my children after a disappointing public interaction. Lucky for them, I'll spare using their name in my illustration, but if it happens again, I promise to out them on my next podcast. I kid. Anyway, this angelic child of mine was less than compliant and respectful, so when we left said public interaction, I had some sharp words for my child, one where I may or may not have sternly delivered punishments and parental threats. Luckily for my child, though, I calmed down and transitioned my approach from punishments to consequences. 
What's the difference, you might ask? Well, a punishment is defined by Webster as inflicting suffering, pain, or loss that serves as retribution. The goal is often to hurt or inflict pain or even get even. And after cooling off, I didn't want to do any of those things to my kid, but I did want them to learn from it and not repeat the same choices. As parents, we have expectations of behavior and the responsibility to hold them to a high standard of character. And even if they apologize and recognize their errors, we will likely still deliver consequences. A consequence is meant to teach and maintain accountability and safety. A consequence is often the result or direct effect of an action. As parents, the goal of giving consequences is to teach a lesson that leads the child to make positive choices. It encourages self-examination, acceptance for responsibility for one's actions, the ability to learn from their mistakes, and the development of an inner voice of self-control. You will see in each of the stories that God set up consequences, not punishments for his people. His motivation was to teach, not to hurt. Before we get into the details of each biblical character and the choices they made, I want to mention two scriptures to prevent us from thinking, how could they do that? Or why were they so blinded to their own deficiencies? Matthew 7, 4 through 5 reminds us to be cautious. It says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. So let's not think that we can distance ourselves from these characters. This could be us. With these verses in mind, let's review Adam and Eve's story. In the last lesson, we read about the encounter between Adam, Eve, and the serpent. Genesis 3, 4-6 through says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. With each character analysis, we're going to break it into three components, the three C's, if you will, the compromise, the choice, and the consequence. What was Eve's compromise? She forgot that her God was a God of honesty, love, provision, and generosity, and rather than standing firm on what she knew to be true, she listened to the lies of the serpent. She was an impulsive decision maker. Eve entertained the careful and calculated speech of the serpent. The devil twisted the words of God and painted him as stingy and someone who wanted to withhold good things from her and Adam. He convinced her that God was overly harsh and that he wouldn't follow through on his threat of judgment. So Eve, she made a choice. She was deceived and transgressed and chose to go beyond the bounds of the rules outlined by God. Remember verse 6 says, She took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Not only that, but she influenced her husband, and not in a good way. She made a hasty decision that led her into the role of a dominant influencer. The MacArthur Bible Commentary says it well. God made woman after man to be his suitable helper. By leaving Adam's protection and usurping his headship, she was vulnerable and fell, thus confirming how important it was for her to stay under the protection and leadership of her husband. We won't spend too much time on Adam, but he definitely did play a role, and it wasn't good. In this situation, Adam was a passive leader. He knew the truth, but allowed Eve to influence him to disobey God's instruction. God ordained a perfect order. He created Adam first, and then he created Eve as a helpmate, not as his leader. Both Adam and Eve were acting out of their assigned roles. Ephesians 5, 22-23 says, Wives, follow the lead of your husbands as you follow the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. And as you know, things get messy when we make changes to the order that God has established. 
Despite Eve's influence, the responsibility of the fall lands squarely on Adam's shoulder since he chose to disobey God apart from being deceived. 1 Timothy 2.14 says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. He violated his leadership role, followed Eve in her sin, and plunged the human race into sinfulness, all connected with violating God's planned gender roles. So what were Adam and Eve's consequences? Genesis 3, 16 through 17 says, Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. These consequences were less than ideal. No one would choose these. However, God chose to extend mercy as a foreshadowing of his abundant grace. He promised death, but instead let Adam and Eve live, but with consequences as a reminder. Like a disciplining parent, he encouraged self-examination, accepting responsibility for one's actions, and left them with consequences as a reminder to heed and obey his instruction. So what can we learn from Adam and Eve's compromises, choices, and consequences? One, we must know God's promises and instructions so well that Satan's lies won't be able to deceive us. Two, we must stay protected under God's ordained order and role, whether that be through your husband if you're married or through accountability with your Christian community. We all need a sounding board that will help us when we get confused or improperly persuaded. And three, we must be careful not to make impulsive decisions, justify them, and unintentionally or intentionally lead our husbands into sin. A marriage is a partnership, but God clearly defined leadership. We need to pray for their leadership, not be their leader. Can you relate to Adam or Eve's compromises or choices? I know I can. But let's move on to Cain and Abel and see if their story strikes a chord. Genesis 4, 2-5 says, Later she, Eve, gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portion of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Unfortunately, sibling rivalry isn't a recent development in world history. It was readily apparent in Genesis as well. Ishmael persecuted Isaac, Jacob left home so Esau couldn't kill him, and Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, just to name a few. When sin entered the world, jealousy and dysfunction entered the family dynamic. So when Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices to the Lord, what was intended to be a personal act of worship turned into comparison, conflict, and consequences. How did this start? What was Cain's compromise? This scenario is less about the sacrifice and more about the heart. Warren Wearsby says it well. Cain wasn't rejected because of his offering, but his offering was rejected because of Cain. His heart wasn't right with God. Hebrews 11.4 says, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Unlike Abel, Cain disdained the divine instruction and just brought what he wanted to bring, some of his crops. MacArthur expands on this point and says, Rather than being repentant for his sinful disobedience, Cain was violently hostile towards God, whom he could not kill, and jealous of his brother, whom he could kill. Despite Cain's shortcomings of his plant offering, God in his kindness spoke to him like a parenting father and said, 
Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Rather than confessing his heart's poor attitude, repenting of his actions, and taking responsibility, Cain spiraled. His bad choice led to another bigger and worse choice, and isn't that how sin typically works? So what was Cain's choice? He refused to bring his first and best with a pure heart, and when questioned, he became angry with God. He not only showed indifference to God, but then made matters worse by murdering his brother. So what was Cain's consequence? Genesis 4, 11 through 12 explains, Now you are cursed and banished from the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. This story emphasizes a lesson Adam and Eve learned as well. God can forgive, but he doesn't necessarily reward when he does. There are natural and logical consequences involved. And just like his parents, Cain's life was spared, but he suffered hard consequences for his choices. What can we learn from Cain, our resentful rager, and Abel, our generous shepherd? One, Cain lost everything. Rather than admitting and recognizing his heir, he became angry and raged against God and his brother. As a consequence, he became a vagabond, all because his pride blinded him from doing what was right. Is pride blinding you in a specific area? And two, Abel, on the other hand, lived in faith. He brought his first and best to the Lord and illustrated how to live out faith, not fear. How can we do that in our lives? Faith and fear have more in common than just the letter F. They both believe in a future that hasn't yet happened. Faith trusts and believes that God knows best. When we live in faith, we believe that God will do what he says he will do. Fear believes I need to intervene to create a certain outcome and that I can't trust God with my future. Lastly, let's move on to Noah, a man known as one of the faithful few. Genesis 6, 5 through 9 says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry around the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. And this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. We are at our last character assessment, and here we have a man that did not make a compromise. And I believe the key to that was in the last verse I just read, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah wasn't a flawless human, but he did find favor with God based solely on God's unmerited grace. Noah's righteousness came not by being sinless, but by faith. In this situation, he didn't fall into compromise because he remained near to God. His choice to obey God's direction was not an easy one, but he did it anyway. What was Noah's choice? He could have chosen to ignore God's warning and instruction, but instead, he lived in faith and obeyed. The guy lived in a desert and had never seen or felt rain, yet he still chose to obey God's instruction to build a gigantic boat in the middle of the desert, load it with his family and two of every animal, and then shut the door to the outside world. This choice certainly made him look like a fool and likely made him a pariah to the onlooking community, but he did it anyway. Despite opposition and possibly mockery, he made the right choice and followed what he thought was God's will for him and his family. There's a song by Colton Dixon called Build a Boat that perfectly conveys Noah's faithful obedience. 
I'll do my best to not break into song, but I wanted to share a portion of the lyrics. They say, Even though I haven't seen it yet, I will build a boat in the sand where they say it never rains. I will stand up in faith. I'll do anything it takes. With your wind in my sails, your love never fails or fades. I'll build a boat in the desert place, and when the flood and the waters start to rise, I'll ride the storm because I got you by my side. With your wind in my sails, your love never fails or fades. I'll build a boat, so let it rain. Isn't this the type of faith that we want to emulate? What was Noah's consequence? Noah and Abel were our only characters that didn't experience negative consequences from God. Noah had a positive consequence for his obedience. His life was spared, and he saved his family and the animals. And more importantly, humanity itself continued to exist because of his faithful choice. He lived out Micah 7-7 because he trusted God's plan. It says, As for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. Noah modeled what it looked like to stay close to God and to stand firm on what he was called to do. He was simply obedient. We discussed several characters in the Bible today. Most of them depicted lessons learned the hard way. Adam and Eve thought they knew better than God and disobeyed his clear instructions. Cain considered his will more important than bringing his first and best to God in true worship, and Sid led him to murder. Abel obeyed and worshiped God, but was unfortunately the collateral damage of his raging brother's actions. And lastly, Noah demonstrated what it looked like to live by true faith and obey at all costs. John 14, 21 says, Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. This promise reminds us that we don't have to live life and make compromises and choices alone. We are going to make mistakes along the way because we are human, just like Adam, Eve, and Cain. However, as believers, we have the help of the Holy Spirit to minimize our negative consequences by simply drawing near to our good Father and obeying His instructions. Our lesson book sums it up nicely and says, Faith in God produces obedience. Faith produces good works. Noah could never earn God's grace, and neither can we. When we stop trusting in our own works to save us and trust instead in the work of Christ, we are transformed. The evidence of faith in God is obedience to His commands. Our lesson today included four C's. The characters we studied today had valuable lessons that illustrated how compromises can impact our choices and how our choices can lead to positive and negative consequences. God used and will continue to use consequences to guide us and remind us of our need for Him. So when we feel weak, ill-equipped, or on the verge of making a tough choice, remember the promise of Ephesians 3.20 that says, Now all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. God has always been and will always be our ever-present hope and help.